thank you very much, Sir Nicholas. Uh, I would like to thank you and the Capital Link family for hosting these events for so many years uh, around the globe. And it's an honor to be here. And thanks to the panel that, that was uh, just sharing their insights uh, on uh, the geopolitical tensions in, uh, in the world now and how it affects. So I represent uh, VMR. We're a vessel's value company. We were recently acquired by Vesson. Uh, just to make it even more confusing. Uh, many of you probably know Vesson as uh, an American maritime software company uh, and uh, from, from the IMO software. And we in VMR, we are a shipping market analyst trying to forecast uh, five years, uh, four to five years ahead uh, on earnings and on asset values. And I think today it's, it's quite, you know, big questions because there are clear wishes of where we're going, but it's very uncertain how we get there. Uh, you want to have the 40% reduction by 2030, the 70% reductions by uh, 2050 compared to 2008, but how do you get there, right? That's the big, that's the big question. So today uh, I will try and lean up against the different panels of today, so I'll not go through the standard you know, where are we going uh, in the next years in terms of earnings and, and values. But I will try and use what we know from CII, EXI, and the other measures, how that will impact shipping on a commercial uh, scale and how it, how it impacts. Um, so, and I, and I also think, you know, the shipping community should be proud. You know, what has happened in the last decade, uh, we emit 2 to 3% of all the emissions, but we also transport, you know, up to 90% of all, all, all the global trade. Um, so that is, that is something to be, to, to be proud of. So if you look at the left-hand side, right, so we're now at a time where it gets really difficult because on the left-hand side, for those in the back that can't see it, so it's basically a single to double hull tanker, right? So in the 90s when you got to that stage or ballast water treatment systems or the Ekaseka zones, it's quite, uh, I wouldn't say easy, but it's at least straightforward measures, which is manageable. Um, and, and just an anecdote on the lowest part there, which is the Ekaseka zone. So 10 years ago, I used to work for a ship, ship owner and we constructed eight multi-gas ships. And this was in 2013. So by 2015, the Ekaseka areas were gonna be implemented. Uh, so 200 nautical miles outside of the US and Europe you would have to go from, from the normal HFO and you would go on the marine gas oil in order to have your sulfur content at the acceptable level. Uh, these ships were later on derated so they could do ethane as a dual fuel. So it was going in the right direction and I also heard, you know, Kalaklev and Ornerheim talking about the dual fuel which is the right way to go. But it's not zero, net zero. We will probably not, not get there. So also what uh, Mr. Erbeck Nielsen said, it's all about collaboration and it's all about combining all the efforts in order to get as green uh, as possible. And I think everyone would accept a green fuel tomorrow if it was net zero. Everyone would buy that if it would be at the same price as the standard fuels, but that does not exist today. So I mean, you have the EEXI, the CII will definitely impact in terms of energy saving devices that will just increase, I think, in lightning speed. You will have engine power limitation, so slow steaming. You will also have 
Um, you'll also have, of course, phase out of the older ships. And I think just to follow up also on the panelists here talking about VLGCs and dual fuel, and I think that's what shipping will see going forward. It will be much more of a multi-tier trade and multi-tier uh, vessels. You will have much more of a premium. You already saw it with the scrubber ships, you know, making 5 to 15 to 20% more, and you will see it on dual fuel as well. If you can, you know, bunker Mont Bellevue LPG at $400 compared to VLSFO at 700, you make a killing. So this will, this will increase, but in terms of the C CHG, so all the greenhouse gases to get to 70%, that will be very difficult. And this is why I, I put a big red X on uh, the, the decarbonization towards 2030 and, and 2050, because what about new buildings? What will you put on your ship, right? A lot of these VLGCs now are, all the order book of VLGCs are, uh, are dual fuel, which is, which is great. Uh, some of them are even ammonia ready, but it, do you have green ammonia today? No, you have blue and green ammonia projects on, on its way, but it must create a headache. You know, what, what would you order uh, in terms of your new building? So you have to just choose from what is the best choice today, which is a dual fuel. Also in terms of safety, right? If you want to have an ammonia, uh, green ammonia on board or blue ammonia on board, deck space, will you, could you allow the deck space in terms of also hydrogen, for example? So it's also a big safety um, issue. Um, on the ETS, of course, it's a carbon cost. It will increase the freight. It will make shipping and it will make costs, um, say for us end users, just much more um, expensive. Now, there are a lot of challenges because there are almost 1 billion tons of CO2 emissions that needs to be substantially reduced. And uh, I think just going from a paralyzing pandemic uh, with all the, uh, say, direct and indirect uh, implications that had for shipping, going towards 2023 and now the decarbonization efforts with the IMO, CII and EXI. So it is definitely uh, challenging. And I think also as the panel mentioned earlier, it's a transition, it's not a shift. If you Google what, what a shift is, it will say taking a gear from third to the fourth gear. Um, that is not possible because you don't have that one solution. So it will be a combination of efforts and also in terms of the well to wake, right? Because if you would put on your ESG report that you will do shore power, where is the shore power coming from, right? If, when you charge your Tesla, is that, you know, the electricity, is that coming from hydro? Is it coming from uh, green energy or is it actually coming from uh, gray coal? Uh, I mean, if you uh, take a discharge in, in Germany, where, where, is your, where is your real energy coming from? So it's the big well-to-wake uncertainty, which is really important. Uh, and then you have the clean versus the efficient ship. So I think the efficient ship, it's all about having saving devices, have the anti-fouling, uh, have a shaft generator, make it as competitive as possible. And that would have happened regardless of the decarbonization. So it is this balance between, and we have to make the distinction between having a decarbonized uh, fleet and an and a, a energy efficient fleet. Because I think the latter is what will create uh, a decarbonization uh, for, for shipping. Then you have the multi-tier trades. And I think for everyone in the room, my, my main observation and my main take on decarbonization is that it will in general create 
a stronger equilibrium market-wise, supply-demand for shipping. So shipping is in for, for a better run uh, due to this because we will see slow steaming phase out. Uh, and then if you have the best vessel, if you're energy efficient, that will be, um, that will be the best position to be in. This timeline you've seen before, it's, uh, it, it explains uh, the efforts from the EEDI from 2013. So I think all the efforts on the new building side, on the uh, tech side uh, of, of making these uh, specs as efficient as possible is good. CII, EXI as well. So the decarbonization coming in in 2023 are also good initiatives, but they need to be adjusted because is it fair that a small chemical tanker with 18 grades discharging, you know, in multiple ports is getting a inferior CII rating because it is doing probably a very important trade as well. Um, so there are a lot of, lot of concerns and a lot of considerations to make, you know, a standardized system as the technical EXI um, equation and the operational equation in terms of the CII fair for all trade. So the implication, as you can see here, so we are getting uh, in the right direction. If you see on this chart, from 2013 and onwards are all the ships. This is a VLCC as an example, and you can see how from 2013 and before, you have the uh, ships that are not complying with the EXI. So either you have to do sailing devices, you have to do power limitation, or ultimately you have to scrap your ships. Now if we go to the CII rating, uh, you can see that many of the ships based on 2022 figures, they're not complying. Uh, so there will be some measures uh, needed to be taken in order to comply with that. Um, and as I mentioned, you have implication uh, on the multi-tier trade side because you have long-haul trade, you have short-haul trade, you have different product trade. So I also heard that Oslo is having great weather, so you might want to stay hydrated this week. Um, so, so on the trade side, you know, you have different port operations, different uh, congestion variables, different cargoes and discharges, as I said, using the small tanker as, uh, as, as um, an, an example. And I think this is also, also complicated on the contractual side, because will you have this in your charter party uh, or not? So it, it's making uh, a multi-tier trade. Where do you actually want to have your ship going? And much of these 90% of global trade that is moved by ships is, is a really important trade and it needs to be done by ships uh, indifferent in, uh, in of, of where they are going. And I think the commercial impact on shipping is this. Uh, whether you're, you have a young and old ship, whether you have energy saving devices, uh, what fuel options you have, whether you have a dual fuel, um, this is really what will make the premiums. Um, and not to confuse you with this slide, but I was just running some numbers on the on the ETS. So, so the you know the carbon allowances that will be traded. If you look at a high freight environment, you're looking at um, carbon cost increasing the freight. Um, so if you say you have an allowance of eighty dollars per ton. Um, and you, you have a 2016 built VLGC running on L, uh, uh, VLSFO, your carbon cost for that voyage is $200,000. Uh, 
So your voyage cost goes from 856 to uh, 1 million. Now, if you, and you probably can't see this figure in the back, but if you then look at the lower freight environment, the cost is the same, right? Because it's the same CO2 price, it's the same allowance that are being traded. Um, but if you then have a BLPG2, which is this example from Houston to Flushing, um, your, your cost is the same, but you see that the net result or the daily TCE is impacted by 16%, whilst in the high freight environment is impacted by 5%. So when you have a high freight environment, you're more likely also to, to, to trade those, uh, those uh, allowances because it will not impact your fleet as much. Using a VLGC as comparison, what, what also will be, uh, say, a pro and a con for, for, for shipping in general is the limited commercial upside. If you look at this chart, you see the average speed on the VLGC fleet. Going back to 2015 is the last time we had, you know, a super peak in earnings, um, uh, uh, apart from, you know, Q4 uh, before Christmas, and also, as Oystein mentioned, you're having these super earnings, you know, 80,000 for the BLP G3, and for the BLP G1 and 2, you have more than $100,000 per earnings. So what did they do back in 2015? They increased the average speed of the fleet from 14 knots up to almost 15 and a half knots. That's for all the ships, right? And then you fast forward to Q4 as of last year, and you didn't get that same peak in speed because you're limited. So you get a commercial, uh, say, cap. You want to catch all those earnings, right? But, uh, but you're not able to do so because the average of the fleet and the speed needs to be kept at an acceptable level to meet uh, the, the emissions. Um, but anyway, what this will mean is it will create a strong equilibrium for shipping. If you look at the VLCC and the VLGC, we found that there's a linear relationship between uh, speed reduction and uh, utilization of the fleet. So that's pretty straightforward. You reduce your speed by 0.1 nut, and you increase your utilization by 1%. Where it gets really interesting is just looking at the supply and demand, because utilization to earnings, it's an exponential relationship, meaning that if you're on the left side, so you're in the low utilization from 80 to 84%, that increase in earnings is maybe seven, $10,000 per day, which is good, obviously. But if you're in a high fleet utilization environment and you take the same increase of 4% fleet utilization increase, you increase your earnings by more than $40,000 per day. Meaning that the efforts of slow steaming and all the efforts of decarbonization is likely to increase the general equilibrium of shipping. Um, and if that happens in a strong utilization, that is likely to give you higher and more sustained earnings for, for a longer period of time. If you then look at the uh, TCE impact, you can also see I, I, I put the speed at 16 and a half knots as an index 100. So this is basically saying you're running uh, the ship at service speed. And if you reduce it to 15 and a half and further down, you see how you lose uh, that TCE. I mean, you, you have, a, of course, a lower consumption, but in terms of the law of power, when you have an engine, it's optimized for the, uh, for the uh, uh, gas from C speed. Uh, and the lower you go, uh, you will use more, uh, uh, say it will be less efficient uh, on, on your earnings. 
So if you just took this example, which is also my VLGC, I'm an old LPG guy, so that's why I use it, and you take it from 15 and a half to 14 and a half knots, you see a 300 to $800,000, uh, say, reduction if you were, were to slow steam based on that reduction. You might not see one knot, you might see half a knot, because we don't believe we will have too much slow steaming. We think it will be opposite, you will have a cap on how much you can uh, speed up to catch those earnings. Um, the panelist also mentioned, you know, a 2009 built ship. And if you look at this one, this is pretty interesting because this is spot on what uh, the previous panel said, which I very much concur with. Here on the left hand side, you have a 2009 built ship. It runs on VLSFO. If you put a scrubber on that ship, you basically have 20% more of earnings. Now, the younger the ship gets, in the middle you have a 2016 built vessel, and then you have a 2023 built vessel, and we know the whole order book is dual fuel, right? And if you then have dual fuel, LPG propulsion, you're likely to have 30% more earnings on your ship compared to the 2009. So that's back to the beginning where I said it's all about the structure of your ship, the age of your ship, and how efficient it is. So there are risks and rewards, obviously. Slow steaming will be good for the equilibrium. It will move it upwards, but it will also have a, a, a speed cap in terms of when you have these high freight environments, it would maybe be $140,000 per day if the ships were allowed to sail much faster. Um, uh, but I mean, as we go along as well, the fleet will become more and more efficient, so we're likely to see this even out. And I think the second point here on the left-hand side, it's all about this collaborative effort, uh, and it's key uh, to combine all these energy efficiency devices um, in order to get it as green as possible. I think LPG and LNG, it has you know, 15, 16% lower calorific, uh, sorry, uh, CO2 uh, content than HFO. So it's in the right direction, but it's not there in order to be completely um, uh, green. And I also think ETS and carbon pricing uh, it is also likely to increase total cost for shipping, so it will make your freight and the cost for us uh, as, uh, higher than it would have been. So there are an uncertain you know, way how we get there. I think the efforts have been very good uh, so far. Uh, in the last decade, what the sh shipping community has uh, uh, managed, uh, and it, it's, you know, it's a transition with a long-term ROI uh, for us all, right? We're doing this for for ourselves, for our kids and, and grandkids, uh, and it's all about the decarbonization versus energy efficiency, because the latter part would have happened regardless, uh, but it will help fuel uh, decarbonization. Uh, and there will be substantial operational and commercial impact from CII and EXI. It's not fair, maybe, for all the trades, because it's multi-tier regional trades, uh, and also for the vessels you get higher premiums as you are more efficient. So the key here is to have an efficient ship in this world that for at least the next, next decade will have quite, uh, uh, say, a vintage fleet as well that will need to reduce their speeds. It will increase the equilibrium for everyone. So if you have that efficient ship, that's where you can make uh, a lot of money. Um, so there's a solid upside, and that's my general take from these efforts for shipping is that it will move up the equilibrium um, for, for the better. So thanks a lot for listening, and that's all I had today.